Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Jason, and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon. You should do the same, because the world just needs more GXG to make it a better place. Just go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon to donate to the cause. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And of course, you know that George is here. Hey, how's it going? The backtrack is, as you likely know, the episode where we take a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. Well, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the origin of Atari and the 45th anniversary of the home console that launched an industry. In this episode, we I'm grinning. I can't stop grinning. In this episode, <laughs> we look back on a half century of blocky graphics and legendary games as we celebrate the Atari 2600. Wow. Oh, oh I, how long do we okay. have? I can't, oh, my God. Not enough time. I'm no. sure. So this is like a wrestling that, podcast episode. This, <laughs> like this, this could run for the problem is we're all experts. that could ramble forever about it is the thing. Not like just wrestling where it's George. <laughs> OK, quickly, before we get into that, it is time for some fourth listener email. And the fourth listener this time around is Ben T. He dropped us a line. The subject line of his email, appropriately enough, is backtracks. Oh, OK, cool. Okay. Now, Ben discovered us over on YouTube where we're reposting some of our old backtracks. Okay. And he has since listened to the, the feed, listened to audio as well, current stuff. Uh, and he dropped this a line here, though he comments on YouTube. This was directly in our email inbox. And he says, I love this email. I just want to say how much I value backtracks and wanted to thank you guys before you become too popular. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really a danger here? (laughs) Let's say it is. Yeah, sure. I like how Ben thinks. I appreciate that. (laughs) He says, soon you'll be a discovery by A-list actors, bikini models, will be getting tattoos of your symbol, and random people will say things like, your channel saved my life. (laughs) (laughs) Backtracks are legendary, and it's only a matter of time before word gets out everywhere. From the fourth listener, he self-proclaims, Ben. Wow. Ben. <laughs> oh, that's You know, great. from your mouth right to the ears of everybody. <laughs> I'm only scared about one line that he had in that whole thing. It was awesome. Which but one? there's one line that scares me a little bit. He's like, before time, this will, you guys, will, I'm like, we're already close to death as it is. We're old. <laughs> we have an expiration date. I don't know date. how much longer I'm going to be yeah, able to make it's it. It's going to happen soon if it's going to happen. Can we pick up the pace on this whole A-list actor bikini right. model thing? Let's, yeah. let's get along with it now. <laughs> 
Ben, man, we're so appreciative that you found us and that you continue to listen or watch or however you engage in our show. Uh, we're grateful for you and anyone who takes the time to write into the show. Uh, we love it every time a fourth listener does that. If you would like your email featured here on the show, like we did Ben's, it's easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. Read every single one. And uh, most of the time, like uh, you saw with Ben, it's going to make the show because we're not yet famous enough to exclude people from being, having their email read on the show. Soon, maybe. So hurry, get those emails in. Two, I'm done responding to the little people. Once we get wow. somebody with a tattoo, no, I'm just kidding. What if it's one of us? Does that count? No. Yeah. No, it's got to be one of us are little, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely no bikini models in this crowd. Yeah. That's right. Well, absolutely not. Not for appealing purposes, at least. No, that's true. That's true. We could be for comedic purposes, for sure. We could be that, that 1970s postcard that you didn't want to get from somebody. Right. It looks like the, the copper tone baby, like, ooh, guess whose birthday? <laughs> yeah, I don't see a, a, the men of Gen X calendar being that popular. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, man. I get October. I'm calling it now. I call October. Okay. okay. We got to get to the Atari 2600. <laughs> All, right. All right. With that good business behind us and this talk of the Gen X Roundup calendar also behind us, I hope, <laughs> let's get into the body of this Atari 2600 backtrack right after this. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. Attention shoppers. The new Atari cartridge game is in. Excuse me. Uh-oh. George again. Ooh, Atari's anti-battle. It comes with 27 games, but that's just for starters. You can get nine cartridges, 187 games. Blackjack. I'd like an Atari. Sorry, only our demonstrators left. Mine! No, George. Mine. The new video computer system by Atari. More games, more fun. With a backtrack like this, it's it, it's almost difficult to know where to begin, other than at the beginning of the console, but there's <laughs> the beginning works. so much that I want to cover. This is one of those where I'm sure I'm not going to talk about half the things I want to talk about, but as I noted at the outset of the show, the Atari 2600 was now 45 years ago released. It was, uh, mm. in, in about a week or two, it will be 45 years back in 1977 Jeez. that this thing came out. Crazy. And that would have made me eight years old. Uh, George, you would have been six at the time. Six. Mo, you were about 23. Three, I think at the time <laughs> I was already retired at that point right <laughs> yeah in, in reality you would have been what uh, 11 right eight nine I mean, yep. 10 years old yep 10 years 10. old um, mm-hmm. at the time it was released it was called the Atari VCS now we chose not to call this backtrack VCS to avoid confusion with the modern confusing Atari VCS that came out which later it was renamed 2600 but mm-hmm. plus I never called it that Ever when I was me a kid. either. I always called I it the twenty six hundred. Called it the twenty six hundred. Yeah, yeah. I didn't right. even yeah, always too. use Atari. Yeah. Well, in reality, I I just called it Atari. It's my Atari because there wasn't like a different one to differentiate it from. 
right. It was just True. the Atari, quite honestly. And then later, in retrospect, I called it the 2600 because they had the, all the I others. I want to know where they got that number from. Well, it was the model number. They assigned model numbers, right? Yeah, but like it's the first one. So why wasn't it the Atari 1? The Atari 1, like the Xbox 1, which was the right. third one. Exactly. <laughs> well, maybe 2600 sounds cooler. It does sound pretty cool. It does. I mean, to me, I'm just curious, you know, what the thought process was. Maybe one of our listeners can write in and tell us. You'd think an informative podcast like this would have researched that, but I did not. <laughs> didn't know that was coming up. Well, I remember getting mine. I'm sure you guys do too. I will tell you that what I got, interestingly enough, was not the Atari at all. I got the Sears Telegames Video Arcade mm. because Atari licensed these out to Sears to sell under their own brand. And the cartridges were rebranded telegames in, in many cases. I think it's interesting that a couple of years later, when they did the same thing with the Intellivision, they called it the Super Video Arcade, implying that it was way better than the Atari, right. but I would I guess that it's not. Uh, and we did, early on in this show, we did an episode where we talked about our first console. Mm -hmm. And all of us, it was either our first or second thing we ever had. You remember getting your first one and, and where you got it? George, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I remember not where we got it because I got it as a Christmas gift. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the 2600. Uh, I was the first and I think for almost all my childhood, the only kid on the block with the Atari 2600. Nice. Because as we talked about in some of mm -hmm. the other backtracks, you only needed one kid on the block with a thing and then everybody on the block had it. Yeah. So Come there was house. one kid yep. with the Star Wars toys. There was one kid <laughs> with the basketball and the gold. Yep. And then I was the Atari 2600 house. So what I remember the most was getting it on that Christmas morning. And I talked about this, I think, before. I played that so much that I, it didn't register to me at the time that my father, who normally commandeered the television in the living room, as most of our mm -hmm. fathers would mm -hmm. do, he just sat back and let me do it. And he hated video games and computers <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But this thing, for whatever reason, there was some kind of magical aura. I got to play that thing all damn day. It was awesome. Nice. Cool. I'm sure I didn't get mine for Christmas, but I'm, every Christmas after that was a, an Atari Christmas because I was getting cartridges and peripherals and stuff. But I'm sure that it was just one of those like impulse buys because I remember I think I told you we got like the Pong game and I was able to convince my dad that this Pong game is great, but the Atari has interchangeable cartridges and stuff. And we made a special trip back to Sears to trade in the Pong game and right. get the Atari. It wasn't Christmas or anything. It was just my dad being awesome as he was. What about you, Mo? Do you remember getting your Atari? You know, actually, I don't. I remember it just sort of being there. And I think my always brothers got it. Mm. Yeah. My older brothers got it. And it was just in the house. So I don't exactly mm -hmm. remember when it showed up. I was actually kind of shocked. Like, where the hell did this thing come from? Yeah. I wonder if, if you got much opportunity to play it at first, if it was one of your brothers or if they kind of boxed you out, so to speak. Did you have to fight over it? I mean, it was like, luckily, like I said, they're much older than me. So they were going out a lot, you know, to ah, they were teenagers and I wasn't. Yeah. So I did have plenty of time. Got it. Well, so when we got our Atari, I, I think we want to talk about uh, first, what was in the box, like what you got, because everything that was in that box is now an icon of video game. Oh, yeah. Just the industry and everything. Right. So obviously the console itself. So you open that thing up and it's got that most of the time, that beautiful wood grain thing across the front. It has the, the, the vented fins across the top that don't need to cool anything. It's just to look cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All these big chrome switches, a socket for the game. And, and now that thing just by itself, we'll talk throughout this show, I'm sure, it just represents video gaming still to this day. You know, for years, that joystick from the Atari 2600 became mm -hmm. the logo for home console gaming in yeah. much the same way that like the NBA has their 
you know, it was one player that became that logo of the NBA, mm-hmm. right? right? That blue and, and that red symbolizes thing, yeah. basketball. It, same thing with this. Up until the more modern consoles started doing what we know now is the Xbox and PlayStation controller shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. finally has replaced it. But I kind of look at that joystick the same way that muscle head guys look at their older cars. Those right. cars <laughs> had distinctive styles. They had personality, just like the joystick. Mm-hmm. I look at these modern controllers and they're very functional and they play the games great and everything, but they feel homogenized to me now. They don't feel hmm. like they have yeah. the same personality that that simple black with an orange button little joystick had. You're right. Yeah, yeah, like modern cars are way more streamlined and aerodynamic and ergonomic. But man, give me a 66 Camaro with those boxy mm-hmm. edges and the sharp <laughs> corners. And that's what that old joystick had. And that CX-40 joystick, two of them usually, also came in that box. It was a right-handed joystick, and nobody right. cared. Yeah. If you were left-handed, you had just had to figure it out. That's the way it was. Yeah, you just dealt with it. That was yeah, it. I had mm-hmm. a friend who was left-handed, and he had to like, reach his other hand around it yeah. to do He's it. He's got to figure a way only, to deal with it. Yeah, because yeah. there, was, there was no left-handed controller. I saw a left-handed friend of mine that turned it upside down and learned how to play the games with wow. controls mm-hmm. in reverse. That's So crazy. I had a left-handed friend that had me rewire it for him, because all you had to do <laughs> was <laughs> change the directionals, and you could hold it in the other hand. The cable was still coming out where your hand was, but at least you could hold it correctly and have the button under your right thumb. But I definitely had a special callus on my mm-hmm. finger from playing that thing. Just the way you would hold it in your hand with your thumb on the button. Mine right between the thumb and the forefinger. That's right. And I had a, a <laughs> thick callus. Man, you could have dragged that thing on asphalt 60 miles an hour. It would not have got to flesh because that thing was absolutely calloused up. The console itself was released in 77, as we said. It went through a few iterations that I want to run through. The first one that came out, the, we initially know, was called the, the CX-2600, the model name, as we said, came out in 1977. It's now been nicknamed the Heavy Sixer, and that's because it had all six buttons, you know, silver buttons on the front. Mm-hmm. It had power, left difficulty, color black and white, right difficulty, game select, game reset, right, all the way across the top. I'm not looking at anything. I remember those in my head. I know what they have on there. Right. And and it was actually artificially heavy. Like the plastic was like a quarter inch thick to give you the impression that there was a lot of electronics in there, make it feel weighty to justify that $199 price tag. One year later, they lightened it and they called that the Light Sixer. Same look and feel, molded with less plastic. That started in 78. Okay. And then in 1980, now this is well before the crash. So they're, now they're, hey, we're revamping the thing. They changed it to a force thing. They moved the difficulties to the back. It was a little toggle switch on the back of the box for the difficulty A, B on the left and right. And that was the model that continued for a good long while. At 82, they did a new version where they replaced, sadly, that wood grain with just a plain (laughs) black gloss kind of thing. That one they've nicknamed the four-switch black Vader or the Darth Vader box because (laughs) it's it's blacked out effectively. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have any of that wood grain on it, just a logo on it. And finally, post-video game crash in 83, when they were trying to kind of resurrect the Atari 2600 way too late, right? This was the 86. Problem was the Nintendo was going gangbusters and Atari said, we've got this old console hardware in the back. So they made like a new low profile. They redesigned it, made it slick. And we're talking about, George, how modern stuff looks different. It was real little and it was kind of looked more like the 7800 at the time. They released it at $50, like sub 50 in many cases. Well, this is after the crash, right? I know. Well, look, they had the inventory and they had the technology. So they're trying to cap they get rid of it somehow, right? They're, they're looking at it as a kid's toy then. They're like, hey, this is not the top tier anymore. For 50 bucks, you can get 
the little brother on Atari, I think they were trying to try to shoot for. But that was mm-hmm. the last one that came out. Circa 86 was that that remake. They called it the 2600 Junior because it was for little kids. Now. <laughs> uh, the thing that was in the box, which I don't think anybody today would comprehend what it was if they saw it, was the <laughs> RF switch. Right. That's one of the things that you can give to one of those kids on like, you know, show them old technology. Right. See if they it kids out. modern. Yeah. Old stuff. Because <laughs> when we saw it, it made perfect sense. Right. Every oh, yeah. TV had the yeah. two things in the back that you could unscrew, hook it up to. Had the, had channel the three. VHF screws. Yeah. Yep. You yep. had the channel three or four selector and all that stuff on there. Uh-huh. But and again, it's like, George, actually, you were kind of dealing with this now. Like, how do you hook one of these up to a modern TV? I, it takes a lot of technology to make yeah. it work on a modern TV. <laughs> you got to work backwards because we got yeah. rid of the VHF exactly. prongs. Yep. <laughs> and also, we can't forget the paddles. Sure. Oh, yeah. That was like yep. the mainstay because you could play your Pong style games your and all that out. stuff. The breakouts right. and all that stuff. You had to have the That paddles. was the redheaded stepchild of what was in that box. Like, everybody used the console and the CX40 and the Switch. Yeah. And the paddles were on a few games. It wasn't as much. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't. It was a double paddle, right? So right. one plug gave with you two paddles, paddles on it. Yeah. Right. Which means you could play four player games with paddle games, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, that came into handy like on Warlords. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 That was probably the best use of paddles, quite frankly. And there were a lot of great games like Kaboom, where you were catching the bombs and the the, the convict was dropping at the top of the thing. But aside from some packing foam and manuals, once you got that stuff out of the box, I know for me, I never put it back in the box. It stayed there. That RF switch was forever on game, never on TV. (laughs) I was always using that. (laughs) Mine did have to switch back and forth because, like I said, it was on my living room television. Main living room, yeah. And you had to get up and switch it, too. You had to reach right on that TV and switch yeah, that sucker. Yeah, from the back. You had yeah. to flip well, that Well, you learned blind. You could do it in the dark. You know what that <laughs> oh, thing yeah. is. You've That's done it a times. <laughs> I, I kind of have a question that I want to ask as we're getting ready to move into the next segment, if you guys okay. don't mind. Yeah, so please. I know we all had a system back then. And you may or may not remember which one of those versions that you might have had, the 4, the I 6, do. the Vader, or whatever. <laughs> the heavy. Yeah. But what I'm more curious about is most of us in the Gen X grown-up generation, we probably got rid of those in a garage sale or our parents gave Ooh, it away to Goodwill yeah. or something. Ooh, and we lost ouch. those consoles through time and attrition. Oh. But now that we're older... And we have money and we kicked our kids out of the house. (laughs) I'm just curious if one of the two of you have also reacquired the machine and which version you have now, if only Mm -hmm. one, or do you have all of them? So I have not. So that's easy. Okay. That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, will you yield the remainder of your time to the gentleman from Florida? Because I definitely, yes. <laughs> please. I didn't have one for a long time. First, it hurt when you said we lost ours through attrition. I remember specifically, I won't get into the story, but I know when I got rid of mine, mm. I was, I was gaining money to buy a computer. Right. So I just, it made sense at the time. If only I'd known. Right. I ended up buying a lot of games and consoles and stuff from a, a guy at a flea market that had just tons that he, like you've talked about before, people just, it's just not moving. They're not putting it on the shelves out front. He, I, I have to go, do you have any Atari stuff? Oh, and it's those, it's in those Rubbermaid tubs under the tables. I'm like, <laughs> really? Do you want to move all of it? And I ended up buying a bunch of it. We talked about it years ago when this happened. It's been many, many years ago, maybe four years ago or so. And in that were a couple of consoles. So what I have now is definitely the 2600 four switch. So the difficulty is on the back. The heavy sixers and light sixers, they're harder to come by these days because they were only released in 77 and 78. But I have at least three original 2600s and they're all four switchers and none, none of the Vaders, which are kind of the tail end people kind of want. 
What about you, George? I know you kind of recently have uh, started into this adventure. I did. Thanks to your daughter who has a very cool shop that she manages, I picked up an Atari 2600. (laughs) It is the four switch, just like uh, yours is. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been struggling of late to get it to display (laughs) its wares on a screen because... As you will find out when you reacquire these consoles, the modern televisions, they won't drop their resolution low enough to display the goodness (laughs) that was and is the Atari 2600. It just boggles my mind. I think our next segment where we're going to talk about the entertainment portion of this system, the games, is really going to make me even sadder because (laughs) I have this in my house and I can't play it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. The world's greatest arcade video games are now the world's greatest home video games. They're only from Atari and only for systems from Atari, which means that when you play them on an Atari home video game system, you'll see amazing graphics like this. Thrilling action like this. It also means that if you try to play them on anything but an Atari system, you'll see something like this. So we decided when we were planning out this podcast that there's Mm -hmm. no way in hell we could talk about every single game on the Atari 2600. I looked up several different lists when I was building a spreadsheet that listeners have asked me to create of what I have. (laughs) There's somewhere upwards of 900 cartridges available of different labels and types and releases and whatnot. No way Mm -hmm. we can talk about all of them. So what we all decided was that we would each get to talk about our two most impactful, notable games. Mm-hmm. And yep. then John went behind <laughs> Mo and I back what? and put a third what? damn thing in this what? segment for himself. What? And John, I don't like that. John. Okay. Now it's, it's not a game. What, well, this is really how I want to set up us talking about our games and how amazing they were. <laughs> oh. So I don't read a lot casually and for entertainment value. I read a lot for information and that kind of thing, but there is a book that I would recommend if for no other reason to understand and fully appreciate the Atari 2600. It's a book by Ian Bogost called Racing the Beam. What this book talks about is the architecture of the Atari 2600 and and how limiting it was and what the plan was. And I'm not going to go into great depth and detail on it. I'll, well, I'll give you a link uh, down in the show notes. Sure. You can give someone to go, go take a look. But the key thing I want to point out that I learned from this among many, many things is that the original architecture of the console was designed to do pretty much pong and combat. Mm. You could draw a screen Mm -hmm. that must be mirrored left and right, like combat and pong. There were two sprites you could move, think two paddles Mm -hmm. or two tanks. And then ultimately you had two balls. So for each tank, they could each have one bullet. Sorry, the teenager in me just left. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Two balls. I get it. Man. So when we talk about these games that we we love as we get through them, remember that the original concept was a play field that was the, a mirrored left and right, two characters, two balls. That's all it was designed to do. Everything else it ever did was a minor miracle by genius developers that 
contorted the hardware into something amazing. Wow. Yeah. On that, George, let's <laughs> talk about what is the first game you have selected that does kind of push the hardware and you remember so well. Well, it obviously it doesn't push the hardware at all because you just explained how it was designed to work on the hardware. First one I want to talk about is combat. It was the pack. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my. Some of the stuff you just talked about make me now want to go read that book because it never clicked until you said it the way you said it. But those like on the tanks thing, the mazes were Mm -hmm. mirror images left and right. I did just I knew it, but it didn't dawn on me why. I also remember like when you did the aerial combat with the planes. Yes. Mm -hmm. With the the clouds. And and you would go through the game selects. And even though the pixel, the character was moving across the screen, every time you hit it, it would change from the big airplane to the three airplanes or the two airplanes, Mm -hmm. the different types. And now I understand you're just substituting one graphic in the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's brilliant genius that they designed it because all they had to work from before was Pong, as you mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact that some of the things we're going to talk about next in some of our other choices, they did stuff so completely against the grain of that concept. Yep. That just blows my mind even more because I don't know another console since then that that was the aim of the developer was to make the console do something it wasn't designed to do. If you talk about your Xbox or your PlayStation or your Nintendo whatever console, everything that the developers did was okayed by the company creating the console in the first place. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. You're telling us through this book and through interviews and everything else that these yep. guys were hired by Atari and later on split off in other companies and just said, you know what? You may have designed the console this way, but we're going to make a game that shows you what it can really do. You're exactly That's really right. Yeah. And push be asked that too. It's another layer of why I love this console so much is because it drove innovation because Atari said, we're going to ride this horse until it breaks down. We're not making a new one just keep figuring out how to make the games better but to your point combat that pack-in game as simple as it was so well designed and by the way (laughs) no ai in the original it was purely multiplayer. You yeah. had to get a friend. And it, it's <laughs> had infuriating to have a <laughs> when people get a beat on you and they keep popping you in the corner. And like, I love doing the George when we play combat. <laughs> <laughs> it's you're, But you're right. It, to me, I've talked about my woes of trying to get mine up and functional and displaying video and whatever I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's only one cartridge in that console right now. I have about 30 cartridges. There's only one that's going to be the first thing that I get to see when I turn it on, and it's combat. It's combat. No, combat came with the game. Didn't it or was it? It did. Just, it was the package. In many okay, cases, it wasn't the package. Because I think with Sasir's game, it might have been air sea battle sometimes with oh, the okay. games, mm. but I definitely got combat. Right. And frankly, because combat's the pack in game, everybody's getting rid of it. So I was able to get a combat from a buddy who had two of them. It was really easy. Yeah. Well, later on, it. too, Pac Man was a pack in on the Sears. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it just depended on maybe when you bought it as to what was the pack in game. But I know mm-hmm. mine. When I got it, it was combat. Oh, for sure. Yep. So the game that I really liked, and I remember, I don't know why I remember it, because it wasn't an awesome game, but I played it for so many hours, was Asteroids. The Atari oh, first okay. version of Asteroids. It is an awesome game. I, well, I disagree with Mo. It was an awesome, and a, at the time I played it, port. well, it wasn't, because the, the, the <laughs> stuff only went up and down. Yes. It only traveled vertically. It only the traveled Asteroids vertically. Did, and they were these weird pastel, multicolored rocks. Yep. Now, would it could? 
could do those. You could do two player, which is yes. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I remember most about though is when you got the game, you had that booklet that showed you like all the because you had like basically you say okay, game version thirty five is two player. So you have game select. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it was this massive matrix. Is of, it hyperspace or is it shield or is it what all, all right, these you different get things? Three yep. at this level or this level. So they had to cover all those permutations yep. with just sequentially. Essentially. Well, because it was back in the day when a manual had to tell you everything. everything. It's yeah. not like it is today where basically it's like, don't shock yourself in the bathtub yeah. playing this electronic thing. That's really all you get these days because all the manual stuff is in the game. The tutorial that we talk about yep. playing modern yep. games. They had to teach you that in the manual. Oh, yeah. And I have to tell you, though, you know, because there were a lot of arcade cabinet ports to the 2600, right? But this one, to me, felt the closest to the real asteroids and some of these others that came out. Some of the others were just terrible. You know, didn't remind me of the game at all. This one, I think I got the feel of the game, even though I think I probably sprained my thumb of that joystick because you're like you know it was a workout using that joystick those were some tough damn joysticks the joysticks mm-hmm. they are like it's they're crap as far as how <laughs> solidly those things were built because i don't care thanks you felt like you were putting force into yep. that joystick that got your ship that much further over to the <laughs> <Yeah>. left <laughs> and you leaned it Did you guys ever lean it like you're trying to go faster so you lean the joystick that, oh that yeah difference. Like, if you lean it farther <laughs> it'll go faster sure well, you know, you, you talk about how Asteroids wasn't accurate enough. Was, but for me, it was like the closest I found. Yeah, it was the closest. Consider what we had had imported from oh, the no, arcade up to that point. They weren't bringing arcade games home, really. Space Invaders was probably the best, most accurate conversion, maybe, for the Atari. Right. But Asteroids was so good, Mo, that it even the multicolored rocks, even the fact that you had to go through the manual to click through, you know, 20 different versions. I played that oh, hell I did out too. of it. And I, did, I, I did, too. It's an awesome pick. Mm. And it stayed in that console many, many <laughs> yeah, nights. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> And the fact you could do two-player, that was probably the most fun. Simultaneous? Yes, simultaneous yeah. two-player, which you couldn't yeah. do in the arcade. No, nope. no, so, no. But actually, John, I think the game you're going to bring up was actually one of my friend's favorite games that he could play the thing for freaking hours. Oh, it's just notably one of the objectively best games, one of the best-selling games on the consoles in the top ten, I think. It was Howard Scott Warshaw's Yars Revenge. Yeah. I think this was the cartridge that we were going to fight over when we were making our list of our most popular oh, really? games, because each one of us yeah. is getting to present. Yeah two of them this was the one that you oh. did acquiesce and go okay you can have Yars Revenge because you wanted it right <laughs> I, oh. I did a whole video that I'll ask Mo to link in the show notes where I talk about things you didn't know about Yars Revenge but just to touch on it it's that genius mentality of a great developer that Warshaw was and is still to this day he was actually told to do a port of an arcade game called Star Castle. And he said, you know what? The hardware can't do that. But I have a great idea for taking the idea of that game and doing something novel and new with it. And he got the idea of, I'm going to have this full screen explosion and I'm going to have this little fly and there's a mythology behind it. Another comic book pack in game, George, yeah. that you can get that tells the mythology. Mm-hmm. It did some novel things. The score was not on the screen all the time. It was a HUDless game. It was you, the little fly, the cotile, his his little shield, and that, and that weird neutral zone thing, that you could right? fly yeah. around, and a little bullet chasing you. That siren in that game. <laughs> that, wow. that hum, that throbbing kind of noise. Well, and yeah. especially when you killed the cotile. Oh, yeah. That transition <laughs> siren oh, between levels. Ooh, yep. Man. 
it was a multimedia experience before anybody knew what that was. It really, it, it soaked into your senses in a way that a lot of games are just kind of blip, 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 and it had a constant thrum of noise. It had great full screen explosions and all that. And still, I mean, released in 82, we're still talking about it today. There's a sequel coming written by Warshaw or designed <laughs> by him at least. There's the recharged coming. There's so much in the world for Yards Revenge. People acknowledge what a great game that was. And it's just it, one of my all time favorites. And I, I played literally this week. I still play it you know semi-regularly <laughs> oh mo you got another pick another one they're all gonna like everybody's gonna oh, yeah, like yeah. this is one that it's another one that for some reason i just played and i know this maybe wasn't everyone's favorite but pitfall came out in 1982 oh, yeah. an activision game right? it was so yeah. it was not like mm -hmm. the atari was activision and they really pushed the hardware i mean activision mm -hmm. could make it do things you couldn't nothing else could do and I like this game because it had like an end goal. Right. You could yeah. get the 32 treasures and finish. That's right. And you had a time limit. You had to do it in 20 minutes. And it was a clock. Yep. That's right. You had to finish it. That's you right. You had to finish it 20 minutes. <laughs> it's one of those games that you knew that you had a stopping point. So you kind of, I mean, you had three free guys, but you know, I, I rarely died. It, it wasn't but, about <laughs> the men. It was about the treasures and not getting treasures hit and, and not taking damage. Yeah. And it also reminded me a lot of the arcade game Jungle King. You know, you could swing yeah, on the ropes right. and mm -hmm. that kind of yeah. stuff. Similar theme. And so that game was another one that I just liked it. It had different screens that you had to do. I just had a blast playing that one you know i'm i'm gonna give two facts that may shock you both number one i think this game is the poster child for how badly programmers were treated during that era and how they yeah. fought back because it is there's no yeah. better or more well-known video game from activision than pitfall simple oh, yeah. as that yeah. number two I didn't own it until this year, ever. Oh, really? Wow. Now, you played it probably, right? But not owned it? Or I no? played it at a friend's house one okay. time, one yeah. summer, and that was it. I never had any real time to play it. So even though I, to this day, I know it's a seminal game. I love mm -hmm. the design, the aesthetics. I know it's one of the first uh, that had the random generated room thing, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. I just don't have the 1970s, 80s time frame reference that you guys do, and I'm very very sad about that because yeah. it's a beautiful game. Now, when you played it originally, did you not like it? And that's why you didn't get it for yourself or you just never happened to have the opportunity to get it? I just didn't have the opportunity. I mean, okay. 1982, I'm 11 years old. I don't have my own income at that point because sure. even yeah, though I'm yeah, working yeah. at the grocery store, my father kept all the money. And the cartridges weren't cheap. <laughs> yeah, you know, for the time period, they, just like today, you know, a video game A-list, AAA thing is like 60 bucks. Well, back then, I think these things were like 20 bucks or 25 or something, which was yeah, some, some of them. I remember paying 40 for Vanguard at a wow. Babbage's. Yeah, a brand wow. new game by Atari, yeah. Well, to show you how popular this game was, it was number one for 64 weeks in a row. Whew. And they mm. sold a yep. million units in five months. So, And you know all of those programmers were like, in your face, Atari. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit of trivia about Pitfall the next time uh -huh. you play it, and George, the first time you play it in earnest, <laughs> right. is that when you travel underground, that's equivalent to three screens above ground. I saw that. Um, I think we found really? that out, or at least I found that out mm -hmm. at SFGE at the talk that the developer gave. I, I think that's where I learned it some years back at SFGE. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so when you're mapping it out, it's not random. I mean, it, it is randomized, but it's predictable once they generate it. Mm -hmm. If you go those many screens and come back that far back, it's going to be the same. Yeah, nice. It's, it's genius. Oh, good pick, bro. Pitfall is so damn good. Yeah, oh, more absolutely. than it should be. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Another one that jumps to mind that I'm going to I'm going to go into is another one that probably everyone has played. And if you haven't played it, you're aware of it because it was featured in prominently in Ready Player One, both oh, the, the book yeah. and, the, and the film. And that's Warren Robinette's Adventure. Yeah. Mm. Now, this was another castle duck. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the limitations we talked about of the Atari, right? Well, I could draw a play field that mirrors left and right. Well, think about those castles. Think about the mazes. Think about that's exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. He worked within those constraints, but he wanted to take Scott Adams text adventure called Adventureland and try to give the user the same kind of idea where you have to go east, go west, find key, take lamp, pick up the bridge, things like that, and know where to use them. The game itself is really simple. There are three difficulties. There's a constant map that doesn't change. They randomize where stuff is. But it was, we talked about a little, and we're going to talk a lot more about Activision later. You mentioned, George, how, you know, Pitfall was this big middle finger to Atari for not treating their developers well. Warren Robinette was in that same environment. So when Adventure came out, he yeah. asked for his name to be included on the thing mm-hmm. to show he did it. They said yeah. no. He said, fuck you. I'll put it in the game instead. He, this was the first Easter <laughs> egg ever hidden inside of a game created by Warren Robinette. Look, you go find the dot, you bring it to the room, you bring three <laughs> items, it flashes, you walk in, and someone had to find that without the internet. And then they wrote to Atari, and Atari found out, and by that time, Robinette had left Atari, so he, he couldn't be mad at him, or they couldn't do anything to him, at least. But you talked about the the dragons that are ducks, and the sword that's an arrow, and your character that's just a box. You had to imagine all the stuff around that. Yeah. And despite how simple it was, I could play it over and over and over, and still do. You yeah. know, it was the first game that made me start drawing by hand maps. Oh, right. To so a game. track where things were. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. like yeah. you said, John, they didn't change. And, you know, they randomized where the objects were, but some of those mazes, you could get a little lost in them because you move through them fairly quickly, right? Sure, it yeah. wasn't that the maze was difficult to solve. It was where you needed to go in relation to other rooms that was important. And I remember distinctly taking, you know, like four or five pieces of construction paper and drawing out each map and then Great. taping them to my <laughs> wall in the order that they came out in the game so I could <laughs> mm-hmm. follow my path to do to complete the game. Yeah, Definitely one of my favorites. So, uh, George, you have another one, I'm sure, and it's it's <laughs> it's it's a contentious one for some people. But okay. so, so what's your let's pick? bury the lead on George's pick here. <laughs> but I don't care. I know that a lot of people are up at arms. It's the worst blah 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 port of this game ever, or whatever. I don't really care because one of the games that was my favorite to play when I got my Atari 2600 and would play for hour and hour and hours and hours and hours was Pac-Man. I mm-hmm. loved that bunk, 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 bunk sound. I couldn't get into it. I, I had trouble with it. I loved that game because it was the game that when I couldn't go to the arcade, because we could go to the arcade every day. You know, it wasn't right. possible. You didn't oh, have course. the money. Your parents wouldn't drive you to the mall or wherever your arcade was. You could not, as a young person, go to the arcade every day. I couldn't play Pac-Man as often as I wanted to. This was a way for me to get an opportunity to play that game as often as I wanted to. Yes, I understand the colors were messed up. The maze didn't make sense. I get all of that. <laughs> I get that they could have possibly done something better. We've seen, We've seen better. games yeah. be ported beautifully. Uh, John, one of my favorites, Galaga, that never had an original Atari 2600 port, the Galaga yeah. homebrew that's been done yeah, since Yeah, the then. Champ Games did a great job. Yeah. It just yeah. shows how much they could have done at the time had they had the proper tools and time and everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. I still, I love Pac-Man on the Atari 2600. <laughs> 
other than the arcade, which I enjoy playing that one just as much, that's my favorite version to play. <laughs> my thing is that just it isn't Pac-Man. Look, it is it is a fun game. The problem is they tried to say this is Pac-Man. So much was sacrificed. And you could run down the list. The dots aren't dots, they're wafers. The maze is wrong. The ghosts are all the same color. They flicker. Pac-Man looks left and right, not up and down. There's so many concessions that while it could have been a fun game on its own, the fact that they called it Pac-Man, well, they had to. They licensed the game. I get that. But you constantly compare it to that, or at least I did. But on its own merits, I, it's cool, but I not Pac-Man. I don't <laughs> succumb to that argument because we just got through talking about Asteroids, which made all the same concessions that Pac-Man had to. No, no, no. Don't wear with the Moe thing. No, no. I don't because agree with that. Yeah, I don't in Asteroids, that. you call that game Asteroids. It only had vertical movement. The right. asteroids had colors. You could play two yeah. players at the same time, which you couldn't do on the original arcade right, machine. Right, that's an added thing. That's not like a... That, that's no, a bonus. It's that's different. a bonus thing. <laughs> no, but it's different. That's my point. You're saying that it has to be exactly the same as I the game where you that. can't call it Pac-Man. No, John did. I'm I not talking about you. <laughs> okay. Moe's innocent. John's guilty. Okay. Like John's going on. They're not dots. They're wafers. Okay, motherfucker. They couldn't draw circles properly back then. I'm that's sorry. That's not my fault. That's Atari's fault. They should have made Pac-Man Junior, you're or saying they should have made the console that had the only developed for Pong and Combat. These guys were geniuses to get out of that system what they did, and I think Pac-Man is a very fair representation of that game. I disagree, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. The, the reality is, I think we all enjoyed playing it. There's no question there. I had Pac-Man. I played a ton. Every time I criticized, I'm like, this isn't right, but I'm going to play it some more because it was still Pac-Man at home, and I had a hell of a lot of fun. You had it and loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, Mo, I assume you had it and played it, maybe? No, I never had Pac-Man. No? Nope. Well, your opinion's invalid. No longer. No. You talk about <laughs> your friend's house. I went to a friend's house, played it, and I was like, nah. Ah, mm. yeah, you suffered from it, yeah. Well, if it was the only Pac-Man you had, it was certainly a great facsimile of the idea of a maze runner. Yes. But it just didn't feel right enough for me. But well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this Pac -Man one, George. Snobs. I'm sorry. All Pac-Man snobs. That's I, yeah, <laughs> guilty. Again, John's guilty. Okay. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at genxgrownup.com. You're a starship captain in an asteroid field. Blast them with your lasers or put up your shields. As a missile commander defending your city. If you're not quick enough, they'll show no pity. The invaders won't stop us from the sky they drop. Three out of this world games from Atari, the number one video computer system with more games than any other. Everyone's gone Atari. The number one video game. Whenever something is really popular, they're going to come out with all sorts of weird peripherals and add-ons and also, and let me tell you, 2600 oh, yeah. had some very cool things, some just strange <laughs> stuff that they had. There were a lot of interesting it. and yeah, different things. Remember the amazing artwork that they would put these, these mm. paintings, these oil paintings on the covers of the boxes, especially by Atari. 
because the games could only do so much. And so they invoked what you should see in the world. You know, I'm I'm playing a, a race car slot car game. Well, it yeah. looks like a little box, but on the cover, it's the guy with cool. the helmet and he's in the car yeah. and there's speed lines coming next to him. That artwork has become iconic. I, I have an art book full of that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was as much a part of the games for me as the game because on the way home from the store I'm reading the manual and I'm looking at all the pictures and I'm seeing what it's supposed to be like and that way it's in your head and you could overlay that on the simplicity of the game that artwork was something that was just was, was staggering to me how good it was beautiful yeah I mean yeah. you're right it created the proper format for the game mm. that couldn't yep. we just got through with the argument with Pac-Man but the cover art of Pac-Man mm-hmm. could give your imagination enough of a spark to feel it yeah. Yeah, it did. To me, the best cover art ever was Yars Revenge. Oh, I still great. think that one yeah. is yeah. by oh, far yeah. the greatest I've ever seen. It's amazing. Oddly enough, uh, some of the like Activision ones, I don't remember their artwork being that same way, but yeah. the Atari games themselves, mm-hmm. they had those beautiful oil paintings. and They, they certainly were, did, yeah. They were as much a part of the oddware or the weird things we're going to talk about next as anything else was. The, in the, the ancillary material that yeah. came along with yeah. the games and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, today it's no big deal to have a controller that's remote. But do you realize Atari did release wireless controllers for the 2600? I don't remember that. I did not realize it until you showed me one. Yeah, in the day. They're genius. So first, they're big, chunky things because you put a whole bunch of batteries in them. Because uh, you can't recharge them. <laughs> they're not like diesels, are they? <laughs> no, no, I think they're double A's or something. Okay. You power the receiver by piggybacking it off of the AC adapter for the console. Oh, so you geez. plug the power into the receiver, then you plug a wire out of the receiver into the console, wow. and it gets its juice right from the wall socket that you've already that got. That was a pretty valid format, though. It may be the first one, but we saw that a lot later on in like C64 computers and stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, you'd piggyback off the power, right. Right. But the greatest thing about them is they had like an antenna, like an old AM radio (laughs) antenna that you had to extend and then you could use like lightsabers and smack your buddy with because there were these big long extensions. Otherwise known as the John Dalmoody motivation tool. Smack you with it, that's right. Wait, attack on the end. The antenna was on the controller? Yeah. Yes, on the controller. But the controller's not a receiver, it's sent. No, No, it's transmitting. It's transmitting. Yeah. So the joystick's transmitting yeah, I know, the receiver but usually you don't need an antenna for transmitting. The antenna is well, usually only for receiving. It helped. Apparently it helped. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I could be wrong. I was not a double E, so we'll maybe see. maybe they didn't know that back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, later ones put just a small rubber one, like a like a more modern, uh, like walkie-talkie, like rubber sheet like and had a little stub one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, stub one. Yeah, but the, all the controller they actually put the wireless controller antenna on the the handheld controller. I have a set of them that I got from somebody, and I've yet to test them. But man, I I never knew they were existed until I saw it like a listing. I'm like, they're mine. I'm taking it. <laughs> you know, one of the more unusual oddware. We'll see this as we talk through this list, but. For specific games, they release very specific control devices. Oh, sure. Right. And one of the ones that I've done some research on lately and that I desperately want to acquire because I loved the game in the arcade so much and I just mm-hmm. want to see the 2600 version with this controller, they released a specific track and field controller. Oh. It has three <laughs> buttons on it instead of yep. just the one of the original joystick. And it kind of has a similar look and feel to like an old NES controller. It's square okay. and flat. So part of me wonders, is that where Nintendo got the first idea from? 
or, you know, I'm, I'm just realizing how that must work. I've never seen one of these track and field controllers. I'm going to have to look it up. But the way you played track and field on the Atari was you wiggled the stick yeah, back, and forth, back and forth, right? right? Yeah, that's right. If you only had the joystick. Yeah. yeah, the left and right buttons have to be left and right controller. Yeah. And the middle button yeah. is likely that jump button. Exactly. It's perfectly mapped. Yeah. Oh, so you could if I had the wherewithal, I could have made one out of a controller back then. If I'd <laughs> <Yeah>. known. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Well, you remember Coleco, they had compatibility with the Atari mm-hmm. on their Coleco Vision. You had this module, but they also released uh, a console called the Coleco Gemini, and it had a controller that was backwards compatible. Uh, and later, Sears released a video arcade, too, that had this as well. Remember this elongated controller, the Gemini, and the, the, the stick was also a paddle baked right in. Yeah. So this one, I think if it's the one I'm thinking of, there's the stick on one side of it and the paddle on the other side. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so they're one. slightly different. So the Video Arcade 2 had the stick was the paddle. So you right. could move, you could lean you, it or do it. Right. Uh, but the Gemini had a like you paddle also. That's cool. And I think what it is, it's kind of like they took the, and the design looks this way. It looks like they took the Intellivision circle joystick, turned that mm-hmm. into a paddle, and then stuck an Atari 2600 joystick stick part ah, on yep. the pad next to it. But, but it was compatible. You could use yeah. it with your Atari or whatever if you got a hold of it. Again, it, because it's popular and ubiquitous, everybody's making consoles and peripherals and add-ons and a lot of that was contributed to the downfall we'll talk about a little later but hey, you so. know they also did a um they did a keyboard controller which was oh, really yes. interesting yeah so you could mm-hmm. what do you need keyboard control support for on a 2600 <laughs> i have no idea but they made one it was uh the numpad cx50 you know it was like the oh, numpad on the side of your yes keyboard. yes yeah. Oh, geez. That one's so cool. If you've ever seen it, it has a little ridge on the side and you can get multiples of them and kind of connect them together. Think how the switch controller mm-hmm. plugs on the side of the switch, that little slot. That it, so you can have a wider numpad. They had a basic programming game. Game, I say. Basic programming. <laughs> they had basic math. You could use the numpad for those. I never had one, but I've seen them. And it's one of those things. You that know, I, some kid somewhere in mm. America said, Mom and Dad, if you buy me this, I can learn math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the gateway into play. And yours revenge. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm programming. I'm going to be, a, it's my career. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, on the heels of that numpad, Star Raiders shipped with the touchpad that was very reminiscent of later the Intellivision had how you put an insert into the the thing and you could see. Mm-hmm. But this one was like a big clunky controller and it had big rubbery buttons that you could mash down. And it did have that insert you could slide in like, you know, shields and map and different things in Star Raiders. Yeah, it definitely did. And the reason why I know so much about this right now is because as we talked about in our last podcast last week, mm-hmm. I just got gifted a Star Raiders box complete. In That's awesome. The, it's a That's beautiful nice. box. <laughs> and at first I didn't recognize it because... I pulled Pac-Man, which was the other game I received from Alan at Project Gen X. But then I pulled the Star Raider box out, and it's double the size of a regular Atari 2600 oh, yeah. really? box because it has that joystick <laughs> in it along with the box that was just for the game. Mm-hmm. It was the thing that I'm sure that gave it a higher markup price when they were selling oh, yeah, it retail. Mm-hmm. But I'd yeah. have bought it if I'd have seen that. And it came with a comic <laughs> book. What else could you ask for? No, it's funny. I'm looking, because for those who don't know, when we do these podcasts, we actually have videos so we can see each other. Looking yeah. behind John, he actually has the diagram of a Atari oh, right. joystick. <laughs> right in my head. man cave I have artwork that representing the like the blueprints <laughs> of the Atari sure <laughs> 
you guys ever remember the Starpath Supercharger series? No, I don't know that no. one. This was an amazing idea. So you remember that Atari cartridges held 4K, 4 kilobytes of memory. That's all they could hold, right? Yeah. Right. So the idea behind the Starpath Supercharger was to try to bypass that without making the cartridges cost far too much and be cost prohibitive. The Supercharger, they shipped you, you had to buy the Supercharger set, which was a cartridge that plugged in with some wires hanging off of it. When you bought the games, you bought cassettes that you plugged into your little boombox and you pushed play and you loaded the next four kilobytes from the cassette and you played that part of the game. And when you got to a certain part of the game, it said, okay, you've advanced like this far in the dungeon or something, push play. And it would load the next 4K. It would remember your score and what you have and load another 4K of knowledge and information about the game. There were only about like under a dozen games in this, but every one of them, they're larger games in scope. They're like kind of big attempts at adventure games and uh, larger Hmm. kind of worlds that you couldn't do inside of a little cartridge. And it was far enough in the life of the Atari. But think about it. You had to get a cassette and some wires and plug it in and push play, wait for it to load, which we know from Commodore and Atari days takes forever. Right. But but at least you're only loading 4K. But those things were pretty amazing. That's crazy. I mean, another (laughs) crazy thing that they had, believe it or not, we're talking Atari 2600. We've done a podcast about this subject, about how we used to dial into services like like BBSs yeah. and yeah, of course. America Online, all that stuff. They actually had a modem for the 2600 called GameLine. It's a nuts. You would <laughs> nuts. use this system <laughs> and you would plug it into your Atari. And I I don't know an, enough about it. I should know more about this given the time frame I grew up in. But apparently you could use it either maybe with your cable company or just from Atari Direct. I'm not sure which, but you could download games through this system that you could play could you? on your Man. 2600. Oh, geez. You know, it's funny. I just saw one of these for the first time, maybe a month ago or so, because it came into my daughter's game store mm. and, and it looked, they marked it up like 200 bucks. So I didn't buy it. It was still in the box with a manual. Wow. And reading on the back, it talks about how you can upload your high scores of games to what would have passed for the cloud place. back then? Like you <laughs> dialed in and you could see a list of high scores and upload yours. And just the idea of connecting to the world when there's no universal network to connect to. It was just the game line. Basically, it was a little BBS for Atari users, but you didn't know it. That's crazy. Man. That was now, sick. Yeah. I'm doing some research. I found something I never heard of, which had to be the weirdest one I've seen. The Coleco Kid Vid System. Okay. That sounds pornographic. <laughs> <laughs> Not that kind of like, kid. Were there some no, no. Twenty six hundred perverts out there. <laughs> maybe that's why it failed. <laughs> maybe that's why it failed. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, it was a cassette player that the games came on cassette, and it plugged. And this is just from me doing what I could find. There's not a whole lot on it. Only had two games. Okay. It, the cassette plugged into your where your cartridge goes, and I think similar to your supercharger, I think it fed the data into oh. the car through the cartridge. Oh. So again, if anyone out there who's listening knows more about this, please, because it I'm intrigued because it just looks bizarre that you would actually have a cassette player sitting next to your Atari 2600. I never had any of the fancier, weirder stuff like that. Like I remember looking in magazines and seeing ads for the Starpath Supercharger and going, games like you've never seen before on your Atari, amazing, whatever. And I never even knew anybody. I never saw them in a store even. I don't know right. if like you could order them online or something, I guess. But it, we talked a little bit about the, the paddles before. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't re- realize there's a differentiation. There was the paddle controller, but I think there was a version of Night Driver you could buy, like Star Raiders, was packed with, or maybe it was Indy 500. I think it was Indy 500 
They had driving controllers, slightly different than the paddle controllers just for driving games. Remember these? Yeah. So I, I know the difference and I'm not sure which one is which. I think I do, but I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. The paddles, if I remember correct, did not rotate 360. They stopped, right? They had stops exactly. at like 330 right. degrees, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the driving ones did. You could just spin, 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 spin on those and there like were no Like a Tempest stops. spinner kind of thing. Like yeah. It wasn't freely spinning like that, but there was no stop what in it. What are those right? uh, accelerometers or whatever they're called? Mm-hmm. Uh, potentiometer. Potentiometers. Yeah. There you potentiometer. go. Potentiometer. Yeah. So yeah. I guess that's what the driving one was, was one of those potentiometer type of things. For sure. And it's just reading a value into the thing. But I remember playing Night Driver with it and you could turn and turn and turn and turn and try to make the turn really fast, like cranking the wheel really hard, mm-hmm. as opposed to a real position left and right. It was relative position for driving games. Awesome. Interesting. There's so much stuff that came out for the Atari because, as I said, it was everywhere and it defined this industry that grew out of it. Now, in the next segment, we're going to talk about a little bit of sad, but a lot more happy because <laughs> this gravy train ran out pretty fast due to some mismanagement, but still the Atari is iconic and continues to be. We're going to talk about that when we get right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. I'd like an Atari 2600 system, please. Tell me, you're buying it because it plays hundreds of fun and challenging games, right? Uh, No. Oh, then it's because of its incredibly low price? Uh, Not really. Well, it must be because its new and exciting games are now priced lower than ever. Uh Uh-uh. Then why are you buying the Atari 2600? You see this cute little girl over here? Yes. She's relentless. The Atari 2600 video game system and its new exciting games at a new low price. As amazing and phenomenal and startlingly awesome as the Atari 2600 was, it built up an empire that Atari had been around for just a few years. It went from nothing to a billion-dollar company. Well, much about the way Atari managed and handled both their employees and the industry and their plans and strategy, or lack thereof. You know, George, you had said you were looking in your spreadsheet. There were some 900-plus cartridges available yeah, for the Atari number, 2600. Right? Yeah, And that is a leading contributor to the downfall of Atari and the 2600 because everybody and their brother and their cousin and their cousin's dog and their cousin's brother's dog were putting out garbage, shovelware. You know, you could get a Crest game. That, oh, you could get a, like, oh, they were crappy. A Purina dog chow game. People were putting out, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like a toy that they would make and it was horrible. Yeah, absolutely. And it led to people equating Atari games as being garbage games and they're like oh yeah. the bubble burst the fad is over apparently it's just junk now did atari it was just open license right to write these games that they was didn't. the problem yeah anybody could make like, nintendo didn't do that they did the opposite they kept it all closed right exactly so yeah. that's a great point we've we've alluded to activision several times here george and activision was formed out of this mismanagement mm-hmm. right yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had a group of programmers who wanted their just due, right? Book authors always get their name on the cover, right? Mm-hmm. Directors always get their name in yeah. the credits of the film. TV show hosts always were, you know, it's blah, blah, blah with Wink Martindale, 
right? Right. Yeah, exactly. You know who was key grip on a movie? Yeah, of course. (laughs) But these guys who took a system that, as we talked about earlier, was only designed for two fucking things, Pong and combat. That's it. And these guys took that same system and developed Yar's Revenge and Donkey Kong and, yes, Mo, (laughs) Pac-Man. And they pushed the system beyond what it was designed for by that company and its engineers. absolutely. And the company just said, nah, we're not going to give you any credit. It's Atari. Atari is what's important. Atari was important. That was the thought. Yeah. Yeah. It was obscene. At the time, Ray Kassar was in charge of Atari. And when when those developers came to him and said, look, we want royalties or we Mm -hmm. want bonuses based on how it sells, how well we do. We are authors. We're creative people. And I'm paraphrasing here, but effectively, Ray Kassar said, you are no more important or integral to this game than the guy in the warehouse that's putting it in the box. Makes no Mm. sense. How short-sighted and ignorant of the process is this guy to not understand that he wouldn't have shit to put in the box if not for this guy creating it from nothing. I just want to know at some point in history who slapped the shit out of that guy. Because somebody needed to slap him. (laughs) Uh, Well, (laughs) time and history has slapped the shit out of him repeatedly for the work he's done, (laughs) I can assure you. But you mentioned, Mo, about how Nintendo came along a couple years after the crash, introducing the, the, first of all, they introduced it as a toy. They called it the entertainment system. It had a robot to try to sneak in under the radar. But they introduced that chip that said, hey, I don't care how big a company you are, you can't release a game without the chip you buy from us and the cartridges manufactured by us. And we're only going to let you release two per year, which means, well, I got to put my best stuff forward. And that's why we got some of the best games on the Nintendo absolutely, because of those restrictions. Atari didn't know any better. Activision got formed. They made superior games in many, many cases. If you saw an Activision game, you're just like, what is it? I don't care. I'll buy it because you knew it was going to be better than anything on Atari. Well, it's regulation versus the wild, wild west. When you take your time to plan and put a set of rules in, you can develop Mm -hmm. something that can last a much longer time than when you let just Joe Schmo America do whatever the hell he wants. There you go. All the time. You're going to kill it pretty quick. We've shown that in our history with with our environment and our businesses and everything else. If you just put a few rules in place to rein us in a little bit, you'll develop better quality. You'll cultivate an environment. Yeah. Because the market was so, I mean, this is the first thing like this, the first game with cartridges and things that you could, you know, that, that I wonder if they just didn't, just didn't understand what they had. No, it, so that's, people talk about that all the time. Well, they were the first, they didn't know what they had. Maybe they didn't think anybody was, but during their time period, during that schmucks time period, other companies came out very quickly. (laughs) in television, ColecoVision, with far superior systems as yeah. far as what they could produce. Oh, sure. And they still kept going down that path. Yeah, they had they, their they, best they, programmers leave, and they still exactly kept going down that path. That's a good yeah, point. T- to Mo's point, you're right. They were the first and didn't know any better. They, it was a wild west, and they're exploring what it is. But they had innumerable opportunities to adjust and course correct. Maybe it's time to make a new chipset, a new console, treat Mm -hmm. people better, maybe regulate all this. They could have done, but instead they said, you know what? We went from zero to a billion in five years. I know what I'm doing. This gravy train is going to keep rolling. I don't care what you people think. And that hubris just absolutely came around and decimated that company. It's why it's why Nintendo had to sneak that NES in because America was like video games. We did that. We don't want the new hula hoop. What's new, right? what's different (laughs) yeah but despite all that once the smoke clears 
still standing on this pedestal after it's been nuked, still gleaming in a spotlight is that Atari 2600. You have not taken away from the magic that it was and how impactful it continues to be to this day. 45 years in. Oh, absolutely. I wish I kept track of every time in a TV show or a movie (laughs) that somebody's playing a video game with any controller and they'll use that sound of the Donkey Kong 2600. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I wish I had an index of them. I've heard it like a dozen times. It's like that stuntman yell that's in every movie when yes, the guy falls. Yes, exactly like that. People just use it over and over and over. And it's just, when you look back at, there have been more, I won't say more iconic, there have been more successful consoles since, obviously. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. But more iconic consoles, NES is nice, Super Nintendo, Sega, they're all nice. But you see that single CX-40 joystick, black shaft there and a little red button. <laughs> and it's just it says... This is especially classic gaming. It's iconic like a cassette tape and a and a Pac-Man silhouette and a boombox. It's still, to this day, I'm amazed by how impactful it is. You know, one of the things I love doing is creating spreadsheets and looking at numbers on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's possible to talk about legacy and impact of Atari without talking about the modern collector market around this console and its games. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. we listed six games in our previous segment. And I wanted ah, to just okay. give everybody kind of an idea of what to expect if they wanted to reacquire these things to, so you could get kind of an idea of the market. Now, no, okay. oh, oh, so you picked our games. Cool. Yeah. All so right. you guys know CLZ that I use for my comic book library yes. and everything. Well, they do yeah. a game version of that as oh, well. And they okay. have every platform on there, including the Atari 2600. As well, they should. One of the nice features of CLZ software is that they also provide you pricing based on real sales from real world things like eBay auctions and other mm-hmm. special collectors. Oh, this is actually how oh. much people paid. Actually how much people pay. Okay. So they use a company called pricecharting.com for yep. their games. And I went and looked up the six games that we talked about and I listed them in value order. So okay. Mo, your game, Asteroids. Mm-hmm. If you buy it loose, just the cartridge, $4.14 on okay. average. Yeah, that's what I okay. figure, yeah. Fair price. Fair. But... Believe it or not, there is a grading system out there. Oh, like comic books? Just like for comic books. There's 10.0 down through the 0.0. If you pick up a graded, and by the way, when they do these graded numbers, they're generally anything that's 9.2 and above, and they take the average of those because there's so few of those out there. All in shrink wrap and sealed still, I would expect. They're pristine, most likely. You can get 9.2, I think, without shrink wrap, without seal. Oh, really? It depends on box condition, mostly um, manuals. Anyway, Asteroids, the graded average, 9.2 mm-hmm. and above, $144.50. Damn. Not unobtainable, but pretty steep. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not not for everybody. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's for uh, sure. John, Yars Revenge, one of our favorites, oh, the yeah. one we were going to fight over, loose, mm-hmm. 550, graded, Five bucks, $199.99 on average. Okay. Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah, earned it. Okay. Warren Robinette's Gym Adventure, mm-hmm. loose. $13 a cartridge. Ooh. Pretty substantial for just the cartridge. Yeah. Graded two twenty four eighty eight. Really? <laughs> and we're still not done. That's okay. only half our list. Combat, the one that I love the most that came in yeah. as a pack-in game. This you should would think be free by now. Should be free. There's billions. <laughs> yeah. Loose cartridge copies on pricecharting.com, $4.50. Really? All right. Yep. I'm actually... Okay. Graded. <laughs> 
three hundred and twelve dollars, sir. See, oh, now that game, everybody had that. <laughs> it did. Did see billions of them out there? If you're getting the box in perfect condition, because oh. they had so many, but how often was it That's still true. in the box exactly. and not opened? Everybody right. tore it open. That's true. Oh yeah. Yep. The game that I enjoy that Mo hated, mm-hmm. Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Loose five dollars and fifty-five cents. Graded. You're not going to believe this, Mo. Six hundred eighty-seven dollars and a penny. Wow. <laughs> I, I, no. I, nope. New. 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 Uh, <laughs> and I'm still not done with the list. I'm an Atari nut, and I'm not spending six hundred dollars no. on a Pac-Man. Sorry. Now, I want to know if John's going to spend the money on the next one because this okay. is the last one on our list. If anybody's been okay. following along, you know Pitfall yeah. is the one yeah, I yeah. haven't talked about yet. Yeah. Activision poster child for everything Atari twenty six hundred loose. $10.99. Oh, wow. So way more than the other ones. Yeah. John, you need to go talk to your daughter. She charged me $12.99. I'm not happy about that. <laughs> That's average price. That's the friend price. She marks it up a couple bucks. <laughs> <laughs> But graded okay. 9.2 to 10.0, oh, $1,890.36. No. Seriously? Gentlemen. A yeah. graded pitfall? And it's sold. That just tells you how emblematic that game is wow. of the Atari console. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. 18. Wow. Yeah. That's the average. Somebody <laughs> really and to answer your question, no, I'm not spending $1,800 on a pitfall, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> Well, there's one last thing that we should talk about in the legacy, because I know it's something you spent quite a bit of money on recently. Haven't we all? Haven't we all bought this yet? Well, I did because my <laughs> oh. wife didn't want you to get away with something I didn't have. <laughs> so so this year, as we said at the beginning, is the 50th anniversary of Atari, 45th anniversary of the 2600. And to celebrate, commemorate that, Atari and Lego got together, and they are releasing a Lego model set of the Atari 2600. And it's gorgeous. It looks so good. Mm. Oh, it's it, it's so much to it. I mean, they have little little scenes and pop-ups and things like that. I mean, we have a video on, on YouTube you can go and look at, but 240 bucks for this thing. Oh. I mean, you could get a graded Yars Revenge for less than you're getting this thing. <laughs> and I can't wait. Mine is coming in a few days. I can't wait to get it and no, play no. with it. Yours is not coming in a few days. It's Both not? of yours are coming I, in a few days. It's plural well, because you bought two. I have to say, they kind of helped me out here because there was a limit to (laughs) (laughs) just saying i thought about three but they saved my bacon (laughs) and mo you were talking about it you saw the video that i did how yeah yeah. what they've done with it it's just they're gorgeous oh it's it's so so those images from that lego website along with you having two of them coming or what allowed my <laughs> wife to say yes to me getting one. Because she saw just what quality. They're they beautiful. did that NES back when, whenever they did a Nintendo, but it was a Nintendo and a TV and a little scene on it. Which was and cute. It was, and I have one and I've never cracked it open. I got it as a gift. I love having it. I might do it someday, but this Atari set, I mean, I'm ripping it open. I can't wait to build it. It's, well, oh, it's first of all, <laughs> it seems to be ratio of one to one. It looks like it's the full size yeah. of I'm going to compare it side by side. I think it is. Yeah. And then they got the cartridges will plug in. It comes with three cartridges, the joystick that plugs in. I mean, it's beautiful. Just, you know, I just went to the Lego site because I'm really 
No, I'm thinking I really need to get one. Okay. Um, the limit's now five. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. God damn it, Mo. Why do you just, just tell saying. me this stuff? I'm looking no. right now. It says limit five right there on the website. That's not an, that's not, that's no help to me at all. <laughs> that's really bad news. I'm just, just trying to help <laughs> you, brother. You yeah. know, you could have always gotten around it by going back and purchasing it in multiple I, I, purchases. I was grateful the limit was there. I was pleased. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Lego. <laughs> is this a limited run? This isn't a limited run model, is it? They haven't said. Yeah, I mean, oh. historically, Lego sets do not run forever. That's true. They always end at some point. Yeah. Like, I mean, you might get a little bit more than the original price value at some point because they, mm-hmm. they will stop making. They will appreciate at some point yeah. because they, yeah. they're not going to make them forever. They don't make any of their sets forever. But yeah, are you going to double your money? Like, I don't think these things are going to sell for 460 but they well, might. You have to remember, I'm not George. I didn't buy the second one as an investment. I bought the second one because I want one still in the box after I mm. rip this one open and play with it. Because I play with my toys and I kind of so want If you're not one. doing it as an investment, why would you want one still in the box then? What's the point of that? If you're going to open one up, why would you want to keep one? Because I can't get another one later. <laughs> I just want to make sure I got it. Okay. You never know. You never know. And how many times are they going to release an Atari Lego set? Once likely. This yeah, is probably. it. Probably. Well, so, we won't be alive I, to see the next one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, with any luck, if so, I'll be a machine, a brain in a jar. <laughs> we talked about this. I hope they start releasing cartridge mini sets. They could make a mint by continuing to release little sets that are cartridges and those little scenes. That would be mm-hmm. genius. Yeah. yeah. I'd be okay with paying 20 bucks for one of those. And what are the things in the sets? Centipede that we didn't talk about, but it was, well, the other ones are asteroids. Asteroids yeah. and adventure. So yeah. they picked some iconic ones, the Atari games. Oh, man. We could probably talk for a, a further several hours about the Atari 2600, but suffice to say that we're all big fans. This had a huge impact on our youths and continues to have an impact. It's a part of what we do with Gen X Grown Up today. It's to help to inspire us. It's it's that nostalgia. It, it just scratches that itch of remembering sitting in front of that TV cross-legged with the RF switch and off you go playing Pac-Man or Pitfall or whatever yeah, it was. a freaking Lego set. <laughs> All right, Mo! Woo, good man! As you should. How many? Just the one? Just one. Just okay. <laughs> For those so of know. us that don't have $20,000 of disposable income, <laughs> we can only afford one as opposed to, God, thank Thank God they had the limit of two on there. I bought three. Well, now the limit's five. That's not good to know. <laughs> Gents, thank you for going on this ride with me to celebrate the 45th anniversary, man, of the Atari 2600. Yeah. That's going to wrap it up for this backtrack. Listener, don't you worry. We'll be back in two weeks with another one. And next week is the standard edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. (laughs) Always fun, man. Fourth listener, it is you, though. All three of us appreciate most of all. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. JetX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown ups. Your dinner cannot just be French fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. <laughs> oh, we're getting emails about the calendar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just goddammit. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, 
we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.